there's a phrase in recovery that people say, and they say, secrets keep you sick, right? Secrets keep you sick. And I really, really, truly believe that because there have been dark secrets that I've kept buried inside of my own self. And by holding on to those, I've also had to carry around the weight of the guilt and the weight of the shame of those secrets. And the ways that I've ended up coping, the ways that I've coped with the guilt and coped with the shame and coped with the secrets, those ways have been pretty destructive. You know, those ways have caused some big damage to my health, to my relationships, to my reputation. Where would you take your life if you knew you could not fail? I get it. As a stepmom, mom, and entrepreneur, sometimes it can feel like what everyone else expects of you versus what you dream about for yourself are on opposite ends of the spectrum. As a woman, you're taught from a very young age what society thinks you're worth based on how you look, how you behave, and how much money you're allowed to bring in. But I'm here to show you that you can be the woman who has it all and not just on the outside. I'm Brittany Lynch, and you are the queen of your castle. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Queen of Your Castle podcast. I am your host, Brittany Lynch, and I am so happy to be back. I have missed podcasting. I have missed being on social media. I've missed all of you so, so, so much. Uh, So today's episode, I'm going to be getting pretty vulnerable uh, and sharing about where I've been for the last, you know, six weeks, probably it feels like. Uh, why I took so much time off, why I had to step away from some things for a while, and what specifically this has to do with you in your own life. You know, maybe what I share today will help you realize that, you know, maybe there's some warning signs for you or some red flags for you. And when you are able to be on the lookout for those things, it's really my hope that if that does come up for you, that you are able to get the help that you need, just as I was able to get the help that I needed when I needed it. So this episode honestly feels really scary, like really, really scary to share about. But because it feels so raw and because it feels so vulnerable, I know that it has to be done. I also know that by being silent about this, that other people who are also suffering and who also feel like they should have to stuff suffer in silence. I don't want that. I don't want to see that happen. 
So, you know, I'm prepared to to get vulnerable and and be raw with the hope that this can help somebody else who feels like they have to be in silence. You know, there's a there's a phrase in recovery that people say and they say secrets keep you sick. Right? Secrets keep you sick. And I really really truly believe that because there have been dark secrets that I've kept buried inside of my own self. And by holding on to those, I've also had to carry around the weight of the guilt and the weight of the shame of those secrets. And the ways that I've ended up coping, the ways that I've coped with the guilt and coped with the shame and coped with the secrets, those ways have been pretty destructive. You know, those ways have caused some big damage to my health, to my relationships, to my reputation. And I have yet, I've yet to meet anyone over the course of my life who hasn't held on to guilt and shame because of some type of skeleton in their closets. And so if you're not already aware of this, you know, before I, before I, moved over to working for myself and working with stepmoms, I was a registered nurse for a long time. And I, I met and treated and worked with a lot of people. And one thing I know is that everybody has secrets. Everybody carries shame. Everybody has guilt. But interestingly enough, even, even though every single person on this earth has done things that they're not proud of and has secrets and has skeletons in their closet. Every single person on this earth has a regret or something that they wish they would have done differently. But even with that being said, most people are so ashamed to share their secrets with another person, share our truth with another person. You know, most people are terrified to let other people see our humanness. And imperfection makes a human. There's no such thing as a perfect human. There's no such thing as a human being who doesn't fuck up. There's no such thing as a human being who hasn't hurt somebody else in the past. Never, not any human being in the world has ever gotten away unscathed or without hurting somebody else. And even though we know that, even though we know other people are not perfect, we still carry around this feeling of being terrified of judgment. We're terrified of being who we are in case other people don't like us because of who we are, in case other people don't like us because of these mistakes that we've made. And, you know, I, I really believe that the weight that people carry the weight that people carry as far as secrets or uh, skeletons or mistakes or guilt or shame. I really believe the weight of that varies from person to person. But every single one of us has darkness inside of us. We all have the ability to hurt other people. Even if we don't want to, we still have the ability to do that. Um. And we're really not that different. People are not that different. Sure, we might have different morals and we might have different values, but we're all capable of the same things. 
So one of my favorite things that Brene Brown talks about is that if we don't heal our own shit, then we end up working that shit out on other people. And so if you're a stepmom like I am, then you probably know very well how easy it is for other people in your stepfamily who are carrying their own heaviness, who are carrying their own weight. But it's easy for other people in your stepfamily to blame you, right? It's easy for other people in your stepfamily to work their shit out on you by disrespecting you or undermining you or whatever that looks like for you in, in your situation. And, you know, over the last handful of weeks, especially that this, the race war has rightfully so taken off black and indigenous people and the LGBTQ communities have been sharing the ways that the rest of the world has been working their shit out on them. And it's, it's very possible that as you're listening to this, you might be asking yourself, how have I been working my shit out on someone else? Am I working my, am I working my hurt out on my stepkids? Am I working my disappointment out on, on my partner's ex, right? Am I working my hurt out on my partner? Am I working that thing that happened when I was a kid? Am I working that out on my partner in my romantic relationship? Am I working my shit out maybe by avoiding it, you know, by reaching to destructive, unhealthy coping mechanisms like alcohol or drugs or food, right? Am I trying to just ignore this heaviness, ignore the guilt, ignore the shame, ignore the hurt, ignore the pain? Or am I actively seeking ways to pull those roots up and bring them into the light so that they no longer have to weigh me down? So this episode is going to be me doing just that. I'm going to be bringing something into the light that many, many, many people feel like they have to keep hidden, keep buried. And the more people who feel like they have to keep this part of themselves hidden away, the more people are going to suffer as a result. So even if this episode, even if this vulnerability of mine, even if me essentially sticking my neck out because of what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this, even if this helps one person, to get the help that they need, then I will know that I've been authentic in showing up from a place of service. So here we go. Um, And quickly before I get into it, I just want to ask if you haven't already subscribed to the Queen of Your Castle podcast, please go in, tap subscribe uh, before before I jump into the goods here. It would also mean a whole lot to me if you could leave a rating and leave a review so that this message can get out to more people who need to hear it. So where have I been for a month? Where have I been for six weeks? If you follow me on Instagram at the step queen, then you will know that I made an announcement that I was going to be taking some time off, taking some time away from social media, right? I also took some time away from the podcast. If you're a regular listener, you probably know that I didn't make an announcement on the podcast because I just did not have the energy to. So where have I been? The, the truth is that my mental health really took a nosedive. 
So between COVID, between my son, my toddler, Rory, coming out of daycare, he was in full-time daycare before COVID. So now he's home all the time. My stepson is 12. He was out of school. My husband was not working out of the house. He was home all of the time. And I'm a very introverted person. I like my space. I get overwhelmed with kids. I did an episode not too long ago about how I I never thought I was cut out to be a full-time parent. Like kids overwhelm me a lot. Uh, so I'm, and I was used to having a lot of space, a lot of time away from children and people. And now all of a sudden there are three extra bodies in the house with me all of the time. Um, and, and not only that, but no one can leave the house, right? We couldn't leave the house. So in addition to that, you know, my business took a hit as a result of everyone in the world being afraid, uh, fearful of what the economic impacts are going to be of COVID, right? I think most people in the world took, except, except Jeff Bezos, took, took a bit of a hit uh, economically with COVID. But all of that combined, the circumstances of my life, they, they flattened my mental health, like flattened me. And initially, initially, what made me feel ashamed about this is that one of the cornerstones of the teachings that I do with my clients is that when you let the circumstances of your life dictate how you feel, you always lose. So in other words, like if every time your stepkid did something that you didn't like, every single time they do something that you don't like, if that happened and every single time they did something you didn't like, you got angry, then essentially what that means is that you are at the mercy of that child to keep you feeling good. And that's not fair to anyone right? That's not fair to you. That's not fair to the child. That's not fair to your partner. That's not fair to anyone to make someone else responsible for how you feel, right? That's your responsibility to feel good. And it's your responsibility to feel good no matter what the circumstances are happening in your life, okay? So within my group coaching program that I was running, throughout the time. We actually just wrapped up a 12, our 12 week session together. But while I was f- facilitating my group coaching program, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's called your stepmom story. And throughout 12 weeks, I give a group of stepmoms from around the world, the steps to tra- be able to transform the relationships that they have with their stepkids, with their partner, with their partner's ex, so that They can, you know, avoid the financial and emotional costs of divorce and stop feeling like an outsider and get the respect that they deserve. And now contained within those steps, I help my clients peel away layers and layers and layers of old hurts and old disappointments that they're carrying around, the weight of that that they've been carrying around for who knows how many years. And the intention of peeling away that hurt, getting rid of that hurt, putting down those heavy backpacks, if you will, is so that the circumstances of their lives are not completely crippling to their happiness and how they feel. 
so that no matter what's going on in their lives, they can find emotional freedom and inner peace, right? So here I am feeling like complete and total hypocrite, a complete failure, a fraud, an imposter, right? I'm feeling like a total failure because I'm like six weeks, six weeks ago, we're halfway through this group coaching program. And I'm trying to teach this group of women how not to let your life circumstances flatten you. And here I am with my life circumstances flattening me, right? I'm not, I'm not able to do this in my own life. And here I am teaching. So I'm feeling like this huge fraud and all of this guilt and all of this shame. And not only that, it's that these strategies that I, that I teach have worked for me in the past really, really, really well. And, and I applied those strategies and I was still living those strategies as much as possible. You know, that I, these steps that I was teaching, I was still applying them to my own life, but they were not working for me at the time. And honestly, it didn't make a whole lot of sense why I was not able to snap out of it or pull it together, right? Realistically, not a whole lot changed in terms of the ways that I was showing up in my life. I mean, I was still checking off my boxes of what I was supposed to get done in a day. I was doing yoga. I was meditating. I was journaling. I was. I had started running. I was getting outside every day. I was drinking tons of water, you know, but I just could not, I couldn't snap out of it. I could not snap out of this funk that I was in. And soon the weight just got heavier and heavier. And soon it, it, it became not just that I didn't feel happy. It became that my concentration started slipping. I couldn't concentrate on anything. I couldn't focus on anything. I would just sit and look at an empty computer screen and be like, what am I doing? Like, what am I trying to get out of my head? There was just nothing in my head, just sadness and heaviness and overwhelm. And so now my concentration is deteriorating. I'm feeling like a failure, feeling like a fraud. My mind is not focused on being able to get anything out, but I have all of these thoughts. If you have ever worked with me in the past, this is, you know, Gina the hamster is on the wheel, imagining all of these worst case scenarios. And I just, I had this wickedly short temper. My moods were all over the place. And before I knew it, before I knew it, I could not get out of bed. And then I realized it was not because I wasn't doing the right things to keep myself healthy, right? I was doing the self-care things I needed to do. I was practicing the strategies that had helped me in the past. I was doing all of the things. And I realized that it was something bigger. It was something bigger than me trying to force my way through it. So if you have followed my story for any length of time or you follow me on Instagram at The Step Queen, you've probably heard me speak about how I was diagnosed with depression when I was a teenager. I think I was 14 the first time that I had been diagnosed with depression. 
But over the years, I kind of would reach to some different coping strategies to be able to get through that. And there was one period of time before I was pregnant with Rory that I started antidepressants for a little while. But really, I had never treated this depression appropriately. I mean, I had done all types of counseling and all types of personal development, which is really effective for helping depression. But when that chemical imbalance in your brain gets to a point where you can't talk your way through it, you need chemicals. You need to take drugs to get those chemicals back in order. And I'm not talking drugs like cocaine and smoking pot and drinking booze. I'm talking real medical grade psychiatric medication. So I ended up going to the doctor. I got on antidepressants and something I want to specifically get you to pay attention to is this. There had been other times in my life before this point a month ago or six weeks ago, there had been other points in my life that I had tried to get through my family physician and see a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is a doctor who can prescribe mental health medication who has studied the brain. So there's your family doctor who typically has about eight years of school. And then there's a psychiatrist who has 12 years of school. Okay. And four of those extra years are spent learning about brain disorders, how the brain works, right? They're a brain doctor. The difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist is a psychologist is a counselor, okay? Some of them can have PhDs, some of them can be doctors as well, but they don't prescribe medication. They talk to you. They help you unpack those roots. They help you pull apart the onion, right? In combination, a psychiatrist and a, a psychologist work really well hand in hand if you need to take medication. So in the past, I had tried to get through my family doctor and get a referral to a psychiatrist, to a brain doctor, to a mental health doctor. But I was never, never able to get through because I've always been very good at making everything look good on the outside. I've always been a very high functioning on the outside while I was very sick inside. It's always been a, I wouldn't say strength of mine, but I've been able to pull the wool over a lot of people's eyes for a long time. And because I was so high functioning, I think, uh, I, I was never able to get through to a psychiatrist to see a, a mental health doctor. And so this last time that I went to the doctor to get back on antidepressants, I said, I want to get through to see a psychiatrist. Right? I need to I need to see a brain doctor. I need to see a mental health doctor. But the doctor wouldn't let me through. I got the spiel about uh, how, you know, they're kind of the gatekeepers. Those Our family doctors are the gatekeepers and it's their job to kind of treat us, see what works. If it doesn't, if we're complicated, then we get through to see a psychiatrist. So I left feeling defeated. Um, not only that, but before I came over and started working with Stem Moms full time, I worked in mental health. I worked as a registered nurse in psychiatry. And so there were kind of some diagnoses that I was wondering if I had had because I had done so many mental health assessments on so many people. And while I was going through these assessments, I was like, man, I check off a lot of these boxes. <laughs> um, so anyway, long story short, I finally ended up getting through to see a psychiatrist, to see a mental health doctor. And 
by the time that I saw this mental health doctor, I had been taking antidepressants for a little while and my mood was kind of starting to stabilize a little bit. I was able to get out of bed for at least a few hours a day. I wasn't crying all day. Um, I was kind of starting to feel a little bit better. And then I had an appointment with a psychiatrist with a mental health doctor and I got a whole battery of mental health diagnoses. A lot of them. A lot of them. And on the one hand, after I had received all of these diagnoses, after I had realized that I fit met this criteria for all of these mental health diagnoses, my first thought was that I felt like I had been hit by a bus. I was so sad. I felt so ashamed of myself. I felt like such a failure because I was supposed to be this educated woman who had done all of the things and taking care of herself as best as I could. And here I was with all of these mental health diagnoses. And I felt all of this shame, like here I am, I'm a fraud. I'm trying to help women thrive in their families. And here I am, I'm broken, right? My brain is broken. That's what I thought initially. Also keep in mind, this was at the very beginning stages of me starting an antidepressant. And this was a combination of kind of some of the other things that were part of the other diagnoses that I received that I carry all of this anger inside of myself toward myself, okay? So after that initial kind of overwhelm, that initial kind of shock that I had all of these diagnoses that I had maybe not, most of them I didn't suspect, but some of them I had maybe suspected, After I kind of processed that initial shock of all of these diagnoses that I had had, I started looking back over my life at all of the ways and all of the times, especially in my younger years, you know, especially in my 20s and my early 20s, um, all of the ways I had sabotaged my life and all of the ways I had sabotaged my happiness. Um, And after that initial shock of, of all these mental health diagnoses had worn off, I realized that really most of the things that I had done that were so destructive in my life were not actually my fault. I take responsibility for them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like I get off the hook scot-free. I still am paying consequences for some of them to be truthful. However, it kind of relieved me of a lot of guilt and shame that I had carried around for so long about some of these really shitty things that I had done because I realized my brain just doesn't function properly if it's not treated properly. And because my brain isn't functioning properly if it's not being treated properly, I do things that a person without that diagnosis would do because in my brain's mind, this is my brain trying to keep itself safe. Okay. So I hope that makes sense. But really what it ended up doing was absolving me of a lot of guilt and shame that I had carried around for a long time. And so after that happened, I realized that there is still so much stigma around mental health. There is still a massive, massive lack of access to mental health services. And 
you know, I even, even being a, a professional with a degree who had worked as a registered nurse for many years, who had worked in psychiatric mental health nursing and had tried to get through the system to see a brain doctor who I knew I needed to see, I couldn't get through. I couldn't see that doctor, right? So instead, I had to live a lot of my life not functioning the way that I know I could function because I couldn't get through and see the doctor I needed to see. And now I want to circle this back around to what is happening right now in the world with the race war, with the race war, um, and this war on trans people that is, feels so awful. If it is that difficult for an educated white woman to get through the system and see who knows she needed to see a mental health specialist, I knew I needed to see a mental health specialist and I could barely get through. If it was that difficult for an educated upper middle class white woman to get through and see a doctor when I knew how the system worked and I knew how to say the right things to get through and I still couldn't get through, then what where does this leave black people? Where does this leave indigenous people? Where does this leave trans people who have said time and time and time again through what I've been listening that they do not have access to the same resources and the same supports that white people do, right? So this is all playing into my mind, this lack of access that people have, that, that people who need to see mental health specialists cannot get through and see them. How many people are living with mental health diagnoses that they don't know about and they're just not able to function at the level that they know that they should be functioning at because their brains are not working properly. Through no fault of their own, their brains are not working properly. In addition to that, it also got me thinking about how Often, I've worked with stepmoms who, looking back, I've wonder, I wonder going through listing, going through my list of, of clients that I had worked with, I wonder how much of how much of this inability to cope with step family circumstances hasn't been because they weren't doing the right things or not trying hard enough. How much of this was mental health related? So just to kind of put some of these questions of mine into perspective, you know, as much as we think that the stigma and the access to mental, the stigma of mental health is gone and that we have good access to mental health care, I just want to kind of bring up some statistics that I found on the Canadian Addiction and Mental Health uh, website. I'm going to bring up Canada specifically because we have a Oh, fairly good medical system in Canada for the most part. And even using that as a benchmark, you know, we pay a lot of taxes, but we kind of have a little bit of a socialist uh, stance on things, especially that we have free healthcare for the most part, right? So I wanted to use Canada as kind of the benchmark of what the statistics are, because if they are kind of this bad in Canada, my assumption is that 
a lot of other places, namely the United States, are probably worse statistically than this. So what these statistics from the Canadian Mental Health and Addictions website has revealed to me is that in any given year, one in five Canadians have a mental illness or an addiction problem. And by the time Canadians reach the age of 40, one in two of those people have or have had a mental illness. That's 50%. That's you or your partner, right? One of you by the age of 40 will have had a mental illness. Whether that gets treated, whether that gets treated properly is another question altogether. Another statistic that I want to bring up that I think is a very, very, very important is that 70% of mental health problems begin in childhood or adolescence. So 70% of mental health problems have their onset during childhood or adolescence. What does this mean Specifically, if you are a stepmom, what do you think this means for you and your stepchildren? We know, we know that research has shown that children consider the separation of their parents, the separation of a child's parents is considered to be a traumatic event. Trauma predisposes people to mental health disorders. Trauma is a contributing factor to mental health disorders. So, I mean, I'm sure you've heard me go off on a tangent about this before, but sometimes I go in and I poke around in other people's Facebook groups to see what they're talking about. And I, trust me, I know that being a step parent can be very frustrating and very exhausting and very hard. I know that. But a lot of the things that most stepmoms complain about with regard to their children, as valid as your concerns are, as valid as those stepmoms' concerns are, a lot of the time, you know, there is a question if maybe there's something bigger at play than just behavioral issue. Okay. And I mean that in terms of behavioral issues of the stepchildren. Or the way that some of these stepmoms are interpreting what is bad behavior, okay? And so if 70% of mental health problems are starting during childhood or adolescence, there's a good chance that most stepmoms are going to either be a step-parent to a stepchild who has a mental health disorder or that stepmom has a mental health disorder herself, and because most people don't get their mental health disorders treated, then there is the potential that people are walking around in step families, in nuclear families, in LGBTQ families, in interracial families that have mental health disorders in the kids and in the parents that are not being treated. In addition to that, in addition to that, I also want to draw a little bit of attention to this mommy culture that is so pervasive online where it is even more than accepted but almost encouraged that moms and stepmoms 
reach to wine and to alcohol to be able to cope with the stressors of their step families. And the truth is that reaching to alcohol to cope with stress is is considered a mental illness, right? Addiction is considered a mental illness. And it's possible to be functioning. It is possible to hold a job. It is possible to run your household and still have a problem with alcohol. And so I think that this is a very, very, very damaging culture that we are seeing on social media, in mom groups, in stepmom groups. You know, there are other stepmom leaders out there who encourage and almost glorify chugging a bottle of wine when things are bad in their step families. But this is not okay. And this is contributing, this is contributing to mental illness, you know? And and I want to say, I want to say this gently, as gently and understanding as possible, because I am not above this. And I have struggled with alcohol since I was a teenager. And I know how quickly that can get away from people. I know how quickly that has gotten away from me in the past. I know how destructive and damaging it is at least for me specifically, and for a lot of people that I've met, when alcohol becomes your coping mechanism, because it's not a coping mechanism, it's a numbing agent. And it's a very addictive and a very dangerous numbing agent. And usually hand in hand with reaching for alcohol is an underlying mental health diagnosis that is not being treated. And I guess the kind of last thing that I want to touch on as far as as mental health goes or mental mental disorders go is a study that I also saw on the Canadian Addiction Mental Health website. Uh, They conducted a survey in 2008 and it said, it revealed in that survey of the people who were surveyed that only 50% of Canadians would tell their friends or the people that they worked with if they had a family member who had a mental illness. Okay. 72% of people would tell their friends or tell their coworkers if they had a family member who had a diagnosis of cancer. Okay. So why would only 50% of Canadians tell their friends or coworkers that they had a family member who had a mental illness. And if that's not even themselves, right? If that's just my my sister has a mental illness and I wouldn't tell my friends or my coworkers about that, why, right? And how much does that decrease if you are the person that has a mental health condition? How much are you unable to tell anyone around you if you have a mental health condition? Why is that stigma still there? Why do we feel like we need to hide that part of ourselves? If we have a broken arm, we get people to sign our casts. If we have diabetes, we take insulin. If we have a mental health condition, we hide it from the people that we love the most, right? Also in this study, the people who are surveyed, 42% of the Canadians who were surveyed in this study said that they were unsure whether they were, would socialize with a friend who had a mental illness, So 42% of people would not be friends with you if you had a mental illness or told them that you had a mental illness. 42% of people listening to this probably will not respect me because I, I am admitting publicly on a public forum to the whole entire world that I have a mental illness. 
multiple of them, right? 55% of people, 55% of Canadians that were surveyed in this survey said that they would not enter into a spousal relationship. They would not marry someone or be into a common law relationship with someone if they had a mental illness, okay? 46% of Canadians thought that people use the term mental illness as an excuse for bad behavior. And 27% said that they would be fearful of being around someone who suffers from a mental illness. Even with those statistics, 57% of Canadians think that the stigma of mental illness has been reduced. And 70% of people think that attitudes toward mental health issues have changed for the better compared to five years ago. But what I can say is that we still have a lot of work to do around normalizing mental health and mental illness. And something else I think is important to realize is that mental health is not, it's not binary. You're not either mentally ill or mentally well. It's a, it's a continuum. It's a range. You can have great days and you can have not great days. And you can go back and forth. You can go have average days. You can have great days. You can have not great days. But it's never as simple as just being mentally well or mentally ill. This is an ever-evolving, continuous back and forth ebb and flow, even in people who do not qualify for a mental health diagnosis. So... With all of that said, with kind of those statistics aired out and the truth about my mental health conditions kind of aired out, uh, I hope that maybe you are getting curious about, you know, what are your what are your assumptions about people who qualify for mental health disorders? What are stigmas that that you carry around about people who have mental health disorders? If you have a mental health disorder, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you hide from people or not? Is that something that you're comfortable talking about with people or not? Mental health does not discriminate. Mental health disorders do not discriminate. I, When I worked in mental health nursing, when I worked in psychiatric nursing, people from all walks of life have mental health disorders. Um, doctors and lawyers and janitors and cooks and moms who work in the home and moms who work outside of the home. Mental health does not discriminate. Mental health disorders do not discriminate. And many people who have mental health disorders are able to go on and live fulfilled, happy lives when those mental health disorders are treated appropriately by the appropriate people. I saw Lady Gaga actually speaking about mental health disorders. I forget. I think she might have been talking with Oprah, to be honest. And she was encouraging people, if you're concerned about your mental health, you need to get through it and see a psychiatrist. You need to get through and see a mental health doctor. But as I have experienced in my own life and maybe you or somebody you know has experienced in your own life or their own life, sometimes it can be really, really hard to get through the gatekeeper and be able to see a mental health doctor. It's not right. 
but it seems to be the way that it is. And when we take into account the intersections of race and class and gender and language spoken, each of those becomes a barrier with how easy it is for us to access the appropriate care. I was actually looking on the National Institute of Mental Health to kind of see what their statistics were about the prevalences of mental illness and how many people have mental illness. Um, And I found it interesting, actually, they have on their website, they have a graph that shows the mental health services that people received in the last year in 2017 uh, in United States adults. And 48% of the mental health services that were received were with by white people, but only 30.6% of mental health services were received by black people. Why is that? Right. What is that intersection of race telling us about how accessible it is for non-white people to get through and receive the appropriate mental health care. In my opinion, in my interpretation, it's not that 48% of white people have a mental health disorder and 30.6% of black people have a mental health disorder. In my opinion, in my interpretation, it's because of access to get be able to get through and access to be able to be treated and income level to be able to get through and get treated, right? And this ties back into all of the systemic inequalities that white people have been asked to listen to black and indigenous people as they have been sharing their experiences especially over the last little while that we've been paying attention to it. So circling back kind of to what I started talking about at the, at the very beginning of this episode when I said, you know, I was doing all of the things and checking off all of the boxes and doing all of my self-care and practicing all of these strategies that I was teaching to my clients, but I wasn't seeming to get anywhere. What I would ask for you to consider, ask for you to get curious about is if you are really struggling in your step family, if you are really struggling in your relationship, maybe if your stepkids or your kids or somebody that you love, your partner, maybe if it feels like the struggles that that person or you are having might go a little bit deeper than just needing to meditate more or drink more water. I wonder if there is a way that conversations about mental health disorders could be opened up in a way that more people could have access to the mental health care that they needed without being afraid of the stigma associated, without being unable to access those services because of the color of their skin or how much money that they make or the language that they speak. What is something that you can do today that would help progress this conversation about mental health? And lastly, the last thing that I want to say is that if you are someone who is maybe has some questions about your mental health, 
you're not sure if you qualify for a diagnosis, but you might have some questions. You know, maybe you've just felt like shit for a really long time. Maybe you've just felt really anxious for a really long time. Maybe you've been drinking too much wine for a really long time, even though you said five years ago that you were going to stop, but just haven't been able to. If, if you have any kind of concern about, about your mental health, I want to offer you a mental health assessment. You know, when I was a nurse, I did mental health assessments all of the time. And I feel like this has been a piece that's been missing in my coaching when I, when I work with stepmom clients is that I've never done mental health assessments on anyone, which doesn't make any sense because it's all that I used to do. So if you want to have a mental health assessment completed by me, the link is in the show notes that you can click on and you can sign up and have a mental health assessment. I want to let you know that I have made the price point of having that mental health assessment as accessible as I feel is fair. It is in no way, shape or form uh, as expensive as it is to work with me privately because I think that mental health is a right and not a privilege. So the price point to access a mental health assessment by me is, is, uh, quite low. However, if the price point of where it is set at is still not accessible for you, please send me a message on Instagram at the step queen, or you can email me through the link in my Instagram profile at the step queen. And we can talk about how to make that accessible for you. Because if you need access to mental health care, if you have seen a family doctor in the past and said, I'm concerned about my mental health, most of the time they're too busy to sit and do a real uh, mental health interview with you. So if I can help facilitate you getting the help that you need by a mental health practitioner, then I am happy to do that. I will give you copies of all of the questionnaires. I will let you know what I, th- what I think, whether or not I think that you might need to see a physician or whatever those recommendations will be. I won't be diagnosing you, but I will do a very thorough, comprehensive mental health assessment. So again, the link for that is in the show notes. Um, If it is not you specifically who wants a mental health assessment, but you know somebody who does, feel free to sign anybody up. I will offer this service to any adult, any adult. So if it's your partner who is maybe interested in getting a mental health assessment or a friend of yours, really anyone who you have talked to about mental health who has maybe not been able to get through or maybe not ever talked to anybody about it, period. If that is you also included, everything is 100% confidential. I am such a huge, huge believer in, in confidentiality. I know the stigmas associated with mental health. It is really honestly a big hope of mine that we can normal the conversation, normalize the conversations around mental health, that we can all get the mental health care that we deserve, that we can all live a life that feels good and feels light, that we don't have to walk around with these heavy, heavy backpacks of guilt and shame and sadness and anxiety and sabotaging our relationships and chugging a bottle of wine every single night. So I, I really, truly hope that this episode was helpful for you. At the very least, I hope that it maybe helped you to reconsider what it looks like to have a mental health disorder. Um, you know, I'm someone who has accomplished a lot in my life. 
I have a university degree. I held a respectable career for a long time. I'm a business owner. I own a home. I drive a Cadillac. I have a child. You know, for the most part, my life has been pretty good. I've accomplished quite a lot of things, even with as many mental health diagnoses as I have. And I think that there's a big misconception that people who have mental health diagnoses can never go on and live a functioning, fulfilling, happy, light, easy life with good relationships. But that's not true. It is not. It is not true. The way that media has painted mental illness, it's not true. And together, we can work together to normalize these conversations, to break these stigmas around mental illness, to create more inclusivity around mental health diagnoses, to increase the access that people have to mental health care, you know, to vote, get out and vote. What are what are your policy makers talking about as far as mental health? Is it even in their platforms? You know, mental health matters. Mental health fucking matters probably more than anything else in the whole entire world because you can drink your water, you can eat your fucking kale salad, you can put coconut oil on it, you can do yoga, you can do all of the things. But if something is not functioning properly inside of your brain, then you'll probably more than likely be pretty hard pressed to feel that sense of fulfillment, to feel that sense of peace, to feel that sense of ease even if everything looks tickety-boo in your life, even if you have everything from the outside looking in, but you feel like a hot effing mess on the inside, it's not your fault. It is not your fault. Mental health disorders are nobody's fault. So thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for holding space for that story. Thank you for getting curious about what your assumptions are about mental health and mental illness. And I really, really, truly, honestly, with everything inside of me, believe that you deserve an even better life. I hope this episode got your wheels turning and showed you just how powerful you are. I would invite you to take 30 seconds and tap subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe to the podcast, then rest assured you will never miss an episode. And in no time, spinning your wheels will be a thing of the past. Thank you for listening and subscribing. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if after you subscribed, you jumped on over and left me a five-star review and better yet, a written review. I am on a mission to let every mom and stepmom know that you can create the life of your dreams. And I need your help to change the world. The world needs us. Thank you so much for subscribing and leaving me a five-star review. I will see you next week, same time, same place. For more behind the scenes action and to get really up close and personal with me and our beautiful step family, jump on over to Instagram and follow me at the step queen. Don't be shy. Send me a DM. Tag me in your posts. Tag me in your stories. Let me know what you're up to and what about the podcast has been blowing your mind. I cannot wait to get to know you better and Instagram is my jam. 
I love you so much. I love you so much. Make it rain, girlfriend. <laughs>